Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Morning, everyone. I haven't been here in ages. We've had some good teaching over the past few weeks, haven't we? We've been blessed. Thank you to Craig, to Stephen, to Pastor Frank, all here present this morning. You may have noticed that I'm dressed very casually today. My wife was a little perplexed when, she came, when I came out the bedroom and says, Do you realize we're going to church today, Michael? Have you f- I thought you were preaching, is actually what she said. I said, I am preaching. I want you to understand that my... Uh, the fact that I'm just wearing a t-shirt and a pair of jeans this morning is not intended to be a sign of disrespect in any way. It's intended to be a sign that, that I'm clothed in simplicity this morning, if that makes sense. I'm an ordinary person, just like you. There's nothing special about me. Well, you'll know my mommy says I'm very special. There's nothing special about me. But there is something very special within me. And my whole purpose and the whole thing that I really pray and trust that God would convey to our hearts is a fresh understanding and a fresh revelation that there is something very special with each and every one of you. Each and every one of us. We carry something very precious. I want to thank those of you who came out to support last week at the combined service that we had for Pentecost Sunday out of the Baptist Church. It was really great. Uh, I'm going to tell one of the stories I told there. I hope you don't mind. Uh, this, the whole thing won't be the same, so just bear with me. Don't check out completely. But much of what I want to share with you this morning was actually birthed through a conversation I had, I was having with Siobhan in the kitchen area there uh, one afternoon over a cup of coffee. It's kind of what we do in the afternoons and in the mornings and midday. And in the late afternoon, we drink coffee. And we were talking, and, and uh, we, were, we were talking football this particular day, and I was talking about the fact that I would love to sit down. As you know, I'm, I'm an Arsenal fan. I would love to sit down and have a conversation with Arsene Wenger, the former Arsenal coach, because there are so many things that I value and, and that, that I see in him and the way he treats players, the way he managed the club, the way he handled pressure and criticism yet remain true to his values. There's so many questions I'd love to ask him and, and, and sort of pick his brain and learn from him. And Siobhan asked me a question I don't think anybody's really ever asked me before, and he said to me, Michael, if you could pick anybody, dead or alive, that you would sit and have a cup of coffee and a conversation with, who would it be? I'm like, well, that's a no-brainer. Jesus. He says, that, not, he's, he's not an option. Not Jesus, okay? Like a normal person, like you and me. And I thought about it for a while. I thought, man, I'd love to have a chat with my nan. That was my father's mother who, uh, who was there and around when I, when, she, when, when I was being raised as a little kid. She used to ferry us to and from school in her chocolate brown Ford Escort. Uh, and I'd love to have a conversation with her because she was a dear woman who I know now at this stage of my life I didn't appreciate nearly enough. I'd love to have a conversation. May, I, I, have you, has anybody ever asked you that question? If there is anybody, dead or alive, that you could have a conversation with, who would it be? Maybe you'd say Winston Churchill, a great statesman, 
Maybe you'd say Nelson Mandela, somebody who's, you know, accomplished something. Maybe you'd like to sit down with Adolf Hitler and go, dude, can we just talk? And then, of course, as my mind started going to Bible figures, the Apostle Paul would be a really interesting conversation, um, but probably a little intimidating. And then I kind of just go further back and further back. I think I'd really love to have a conversation with Elisha because of my journey and say, hey, what was it like serving Elijah all those days? And, and how did that play itself out? Tell me again what it felt like when you saw all of those chariots on those mountains and uh, you asked God to open the eyes of your servant. What was that like? And we went through a number of piece, people, but eventually I landed on somebody that I would love to sit and have a conversation with and ask him a few questions. And that person was Moses. And I would ask him things like, Moses, tell, tell me again about that burning bush. Moses, tell me what was on Pharaoh's face when that snake ate up his snake. What did he say to you? Tell me how exasperated he was getting at this time. Uh, and tell me what you were feeling. Moses, what was it like walking through the sea with the wall of ocean on your right and a wall of ocean on your left? What was that like? I mean, did any fish kind of lose their way and pop out? And if they did, did you catch and release, or did you take it for supper that night? What was, what, how was that? Did you find a lot of old boots on the bottom of the ocean? What was that like? What was it like, Moses, waking up to find manna on the floor every single morning? Tell me about the pillar of fire by night and that cloud by day. And the more I thought about it, I would say to Moses, Moses, what I really want to know is when you went up on that mountain and you fasted 40 days in the very presence of God, you went up into the cloud and there was thunders and rumblings and the people of Israel were all afraid. You were so much in the presence of God, you came down with your face radiant in the presence of the mighty and the awesome God. What was that like? And I was sharing some of these thoughts in our conversation with Siobhan, to which he, he said to me, Michael, you probably wouldn't be able to get through more than three or four questions before Moses asked you, in fluent English, of course, Michael, answer me this. I have one question. What's it like having him live inside you? And that's kind of where our conversation ended. And I went to my office and he went to my, his office and I, I went to my desk and I, I fell to my knees and I said, God, boy, have I taken your indwelling presence for granted. I wonder, having seen what Moses had seen and having experienced what Moses had experienced, whether he could fathom, whether he could get into his mind how the greatness and of, of, of God and His presence and His might and His glory could abide within a human heart and within a human vessel. I think we try to get our minds around how great God is and how great it must have been to be, see these miraculous signs. But do you think those people who experienced those things could get their mind around that God dwelling inside us? inside you and me, I think his view of God's glory must have made it near impossible for him to contemplate. And I realized, I said, God, your presence in me is, I take for granted who it is that I carry 
I repented. I said, Lord, there is so much you have given. You've withheld nothing. Your presence and your glory are unfathomable, and yet you reside within my heart. And it brings up other questions. Why is it that we tend to look back at others, what they accomplished for God, with, oh, wow, I wish we could do that? Why is it that we look at other people's relationship with God, whether they're dead or alive, whether they're here today, mighty evangelists who perform signs and wonders, or anointed and gifted people in the marketplace, or anointed and gifted worship leaders, and we look at them and we admire their gift, almost as if to say, I wish I had something like that, without ever realizing that the greatness and the fullness of God abides within the heart of every single believer, that there is an anointing upon you and for you that is uniquely yours. And your anointing and your gifting may not be to sing like an angel. Your anointing and your gifting may not be to preach. But there is a grace and a flow found within the presence of God that enables the power of God to work in us and through us. And it doesn't matter who you are. You don't have to be somebody special. You don't have to have some fancy title. You can be a normal person. In fact, if you read the Bible, it's quite alarming to see how low God's standards actually are. He will use a donkey. <laughs> he doesn't look for fancy titles. He doesn't look for fancy clothes. He just looks for hearts that are yielded and willing. The irony is that for generations, the heroes of our faith, those we look up to and those we look back upon, they looked ahead to what you and I have today as the fulfillment of that promise with a sense of wonder, a sense of fearful awe, and a sense of delight and excitement. Our reality to them was everything they were looking forward to. Hebrews eleven thirty nine 39 to 40 says, And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, the promise of eternal life, the promise of the Spirit, the way you and I know it, abiding within us. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Folks, the reality that Almighty God resides within each one of us is no small miracle. It's no light thing. It's a truth that we've become accustomed to. It's a truth that we mentally assented to and we kind of understand with our minds. But yet the power of that truth, if I'm honest with myself, and I believe if you're honest with yourself, remains vaguely absent. It remains aloof. It remains out there. It remains something our hearts long for, but yet that we experience in such small measure. Is it something we've just taken for granted? You see, when I have a tool that I take for granted, I keep it in my toolbox in case I might need it, but I don't celebrate it. Right? I don't long to use it every single day. It's just there in case I need it. I don't put it on the mantelpiece. 
I don't show my friends, hey, come look at my epic screwdriver. Have you seen ever a more magnificent screwdriver? It's got multiple heads. Phillips, flat, that funny starry one, the new square one, it does it all. No, I don't do that. I just leave it in my box in case I may need it. I think sometimes we go about our days, we go about our, our, our lives, caught up in the busyness and doing so many things. And we just take for granted the greatness of the miracle of God's presence within us. Jesus went to great lengths to try and explain this new reality and what it would be like to his disciples. And he put it this way in John chapter 14. And we're going to read quite a few verses here from the New Living Translation because it's good to catch the thrust and the flow of what Jesus is saying. He says, Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus, in, in his divinity, and, but yet in his humanity, says, even I, as the Son of God, don't do these wonderful miracles. I, haven't, I, didn't, I, I left my grace, I left my power, I left my glory up in heaven when I came down. I came down in, as a man, as a baby, as a mortal just like you, though immortality was within him. He says to his disciples, I'm not doing these miracles. I'm not saying these amazing words and preaching these incredible sermons. It's my Father who lives in me that does these things through me. Is that not the exact reality that God has brought every single one of us into? Well, he goes on to say this. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. In other words, my life is a testimony of the presence of God within me. It's not just something that I say, yes, God is in me, but I look like everybody else and I think like everybody else and I behave like everybody else. Jesus is saying, you can see that the Father is in me. How? Because the works that I do speak for themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to my Father. Do you believe in Jesus? How about those works? Are you feeling challenged? Perhaps a little pricked. That's a good thing. This is a good challenge for us to have because it shows us there's plenty, plenty room for us to grow. It brings us and it draws us and it woos us into an adventure of faith and life in the Spirit where we become more and more open to what it is that God may want to do through us even miraculously. He says, you can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. That was the purpose of Jesus. That was the purpose of all the miracles, to bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask, me for, any, ask for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. This is not some kind of manipulative emotional crowbar. Uh, the Passion Translation says it nicely. It says, loving me empowers you to obey my commandments. Right? And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate or helper who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. 
Now, the world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and it doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Say, in me. Within me, within you, is the Holy Spirit, the very life force of God. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. And this is where the disciples start going, okay, this is not making much sense. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commands and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them, and I will reveal myself to each of them. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that powerful? That's the heart of Jesus. That's the heart of God towards you and I today. Judas... Not Judas Iscariot, but one of the other disciples with that name said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not the world at large? And Jesus replied, All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. God the Father, God the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, at home in our hearts. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. Remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. Stephen preached a couple of weeks ago so powerfully about how God's love and His presence and His desire and His pursuit is for your heart. His pursuit is for us and He holds us within His hand. And it is in our response to that love that we get to experience His life at work within us. Folks, the presence of God in our lives makes all the difference. There is no insufficiency in Him. Sometimes we are so familiar with our insufficiency, we're so familiar with our challenges and our lack, that we forget that the God of all sufficiency dwells within our hearts. We're on a a series called Making Room for God. Making Room for Him. And I want to say to you today that making room for God begins with a simple acknowledgement of His presence. It's just, it begins with an awareness that He is here. Whether I'm alone at home, whether I'm lying in my bed, whether I'm in my workplace, whether I'm in my car... As we are seated right here this morning, we're aware that God's presence is here. But I want to say to you that to make room for God must go beyond a mere mental awareness of His presence. It requires another step. Just being aware that somebody is in the room is one thing. But you know that you can ignore somebody who's in the room. It requires our cooperation with Him. If we want to make room for God, to be, we need to begin by recognizing His presence. That's right. 
But beyond that, we have to say, God, not only are you here, but I am here in your presence, and I am giving you my attention, and I am willing to cooperate with you. To make room for God means, in essence, the surrendering of my own will in His presence. It's not about, God, I am here. This is what I'd like to do. Can you help me? God, I am here. What do you think about this? It's saying, God, I am here. What is on your heart today? What do you have for me today? What are you saying to me today? For God to do through Jesus what he desired, Jesus needed to humble himself to yield to the Father's will. And we see this over and over and over again throughout Jesus' life. You see, Jesus' emphasis was not on himself or the busyness of his ministry. His emphasis was on doing the will of his Father. Now, emphasis is an an important word. The word emphasis can be defined as giving something special importance. High value. It's about giving prominence to something. So again, when I emphasize the greatness of my screwdriver, as the analogy goes... I highly value it. I give it a place of special importance and a place of prominence so that everyone can see. The presence of God, though we may recognize it, remains ineffectual in our lives until we begin to emphasize it. Give it a place of high value, high importance, high priority, and a place of prominence. If this is how Jesus lived his life, this is the same way you and I ought to live our lives. A.W. Tozer says this, The doctrine of the Spirit is buried dynamite. Its power awaits discovery and use by the church. Not just discovery, but discovery and use by the church. The power of the Spirit will only will not only excuse me, the power of the Spirit will not only be given to any, sorry, the power of the Spirit will not be given to any mincing assent to pneumatological truth. The Holy Spirit cares not at all whether we write Him into our creeds or in the back of our hymnals. He awaits emphasis. Emphasis. Engagement. You see, the reality is that God may want to speak to you today and most likely is speaking to you even now as you're sitting and you're listening to my voice. The question is, will I listen? Is my heart attentive to his voice or am I distracted? Am I chasing after things? Am I caught up in all kinds of other things? Am I being attentive to that voice? God may want to meet someone through you at any moment. As you come into contact with somebody, as you're meeting with people, God may have an appointment with them, and He has an agenda for them that He wants to meet them through that conversation, through that encounter, through a prayer that you may pray. The question is, am I so caught up in what I am doing that I haven't even the time? Sometimes making room for God is simply, during the middle of a conversation, somebody shares something with you, just saying, hey, can I I pray for you on that one? Can I just pray and ask God into that situation? Is that complicated? No. 
It's not complicated at all. Does that require some special degree or a very fancy outfit? No. It just requires an awareness that God is with me. He is in my heart, that my prayers carry weight. They make things happen. There's power in my words when I'm praying. And so I'm going to use these words to bring God into this situation, to bring the power of God into this unique circumstance. Because you and I carry God's presence, people have the opportunity to meet with Him through us every time we engage with them. Do you think about that? I'm not talking about some narcissistic thing of saying, you're going to meet God today, brother. But coming with such a humility of heart that how can I bring God into this situation? How can I speak words of life into this person's discouragement? How can I show love to this person who's downtrodden, who's been rejected? Paul prays this prayer for the church In Ephesus, in Ephesians 1, verses 19 and 20, I'll read from the Passion Translation. He says, I pray that you will continually experience, say experience, experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power made available to you through faith. Not that you may hear about the greatness of God's power. Not that you may see the greatness of God's power but that you yourself may experience the greatness of the power of God that dwells within you. Then your lives will be an advertisement of His immense power as it works through you. As we experience it. You see, making room for God is very, very simple. It's simply to invite Him into your conversations. Your conversation with your spouse, your conversation like Siobhan and I did. God met me through a conversation that we were having. And he spoke to my heart and he arrested my attention and he convicted my heart and he gave me an opportunity to repent. Say, Lord, I can see I've been focusing on all kinds of things, missing, missing the one key. Making room for God is, can be very simple. It's like praying for your loved ones and your colleagues. It could be as simple as setting reminders to talk to him. You know, sometimes when we have meetings... We know that we get caught up in the busyness of our day and we're likely to forget our meetings, right? It's not being super spiritual to set your alarm for a reminder to say, I'm going to meet with God at this time and that's my prayer time. And I'm going to have a reminder go off on my phone because that's the time I've set aside. Why? Because I'm deliberately making room for God. I want to put some time in my day where I'm emphasizing Him and His preeminence and His presence in me and with me. One of the best ways, I want to share a trick with you. I want to share something that will be useful for you. Trick is the wrong word. I want to share something that will be helpful to you this morning. One of the best ways to make room for God is through sharing your testimony. Your story of what God has done for you. This can be done very simply. It can be done over a cup of coffee. It can be done over a dinner. It can be done walking down the street. I'm not talking about tell somebody what God has done for so-and-so or what God did for them. What has God done for you? Why is that so important? Well, Psalm 66, 16 says this, Come and hear, all you who fear God, and I will declare for you what He has done for my soul. This is personal. God has done something in me, and He has shifted me, and He has changed me. Often, I I take great delight in sharing parts of my story and my journey with God 
about how I'm not who I used to be. I haven't arrived, but God has worked in my life. And the reason this is so powerful, Revelation 19.10 says this, in the second part of the verse it says, For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. While I am telling you what Jesus has done for me, I am prophesying into your life what He can do for you. Because if He did it for me, He can do it for you. And here's the amazing thing about this. Here's where the power of this comes to life, no matter how mature you are as a believer. When Jesus has done something in your life, He does so through your faith. Amen? Do you agree with me on that? Which means that in a particular area of your life, you have found a faith that is able to lay hold of that for which God laid hold of you. You have been able to appropriate a measure of grace in an area of your life that you are now walking in. Maybe it's victory over a situation. Maybe it's the ability and the grace that was needed to forgive somebody. Maybe it's the ability to to, to overcome an addiction or to overcome an offense. Maybe it's the grace or ability to do something you couldn't do before. But now you are telling somebody, this is what God did for me. And the unique thing about your story is that now you speak with authority. Not maybe God can do this. I am convinced that God can do this. Why? Because this is what He did for me. And if He did it for me, He can do it for you. So I am going to speak into your life now. I'm going to prophesy and I'm going to pray over you that God will do for you what He did for me. It may not look exactly the same, but this is what He did for me. It's a travesty, folks, when we are so oblivious to the greatness and the goodness and the kindness of God in big and small ways that we do not even have a testimony in our hearts to share with people. It would be like telling me, it would be like me asking you, Uncle Nick, tell me, what what has Marilyn done for you? What What does she mean to you? And if you go, oh, I don't know. She's my wife. It's just not going to cut it, is it? You're not going to convince me to get married by that at all. But if you had to say to me, Michael, from the day I married this woman, she has been a blessing to me. Look, look. She's been a blessing to me. She's made this house and this brick and this mortar that I gave her a home. My soul finds rest in her. Find yourself a woman like this. There's a story that comes out of relationship. There's a story that comes out of intimacy because his wife has it impacted his life. What has God done for you? What would you say to Moses if he was sitting in front of you today and said to you, Denisha, what's it like having him live inside you? What would your testimony be? All I'm asking you to do is to stop for a moment, maybe write that question down, because that's a really good thing to go and meditate on this week. It's not that he hasn't done anything for you. He died for me. He gave me his spirit. He led me and guided me in this situation. I asked for help and I prayed, and this is what he did. Every one of us has testimonies. But we are forgetful. It's good sometimes to stop and to remember, maybe to write them down and to have them ready. 
And you will find that you will be reminded of your testimonies in conversation. As you're talking to somebody, they'll share something with you, and suddenly something will pop up. Brother and sister, have the boldness to make room for Jesus to work in that situation by sharing your story, by prophesying into their lives, and praying for them that the power of God will become manifest in their hearts and in their situation to the glory of God the Father. This is how we make room for God. Through these little acts. It's nothing major, nothing extreme. Now, having said that, I don't want you to leave here this morning with an overly simplistic idea of what it means to make room for God. What do I mean by overly simplistic? Just bring him up in a conversation now and then. Yes, that's good. Share my testimony now and then. Yes, these are good things. And, and, I, and I say again, they are powerful tools. But perhaps if what I've shared to you, with you this morning, if much of what I've shared with you this morning feels like a world away from you, a world away from an, your experience, then there, must, then, there, then there are also times when making room for God needs to begin with very deliberate change. Where it comes with a realization that I've actually been so caught up in so many things that I actually need to, just bringing God into a conversation now and then is not, is not enough. It's not what He's really asking of me. I am needing to make some real heart change. Why? Because sometimes our hearts have become so cluttered with the affairs of this life with things that are going on around us, that heart furniture needs to be moved out of the way to make space for him. Any of you ever seen one of these shows where they show, take you into the houses of hoarders? And sometimes our hearts are like that. We gather things and we find a place to put them in, and all of these things, and they just they begin to clutter out our heart. And you look at those people, they, they have channels along which they can move, but there's no space to enjoy themselves. And sometimes in life, we need to be deliberate about making room for God. Sometimes there's things we have to literally begin shifting out the way. See, I'm going to start with you. Is there a piece of paper on your chair? Oh, there we go. Now, would you open that, please? And what, what, is that, what does your piece of paper say once you've opened it? Family. Family. Now, family is important, right? We all love family, don't we? Our family is not more important than God. And maybe I'll be caught... Now, I love my family, but there are times when I need to say, family, would you please stand up? Um, excuse me. I just need to shift you over here. Um, please, come sit down. Family, you, I, just, I just need you over there for a moment. Um, did you have a piece of paper, Auntie Rosie? What did your piece of paper say? Opinions. Ah, how about those? You got any of those? I've got a few opinions. And how many of you find that your opinions sometimes get in the way? Right? And, and quite frankly, right now, Mama, for what God wants to do, I'm afraid to say you're in the way. Can I ask you to please move? I know this is very inconvenient. This is difficult and awkward. You've got to take your stuff. I'll bring your chairs for you. I'll grab these for you. And I'm going to ask you, Mama, would you come and sit over here, please? Thank you. Look at these beautiful people. Let them look at you. 
Um, what else have we got? Let's, let's open some of these things. Liam, what, what does your piece of paper say? Your dreams. You have dreams. You're a young man. You're full of dreams. You want to go somewhere. You want to accomplish something, right? But sometimes even your dreams, if you wouldn't mind your dreams and those who, who dream for you, would, would you mind just... Your dreams are currently in the way of what God is wanting to do. Pastor Frank, what's on you? Your reputation, Karen. What people think of you. Very important. But unfortunately, sometimes our reputations get in the way of what God wants to do. And, and right now, I'm afraid, your reputation is in the way. And Uncle Robin, I understand for you, this is, is a little more difficult than some. But still, can I ask you please to stand and move over to these chairs over here? Uh, Tanae, would you mind just... just what, what's on your piece of paper? Your desires, the things you deeply desire, the things you really want. Can I ask you to move them out the way here today? And these ones, and just these chairs. Pastor Frank, what have you got there? Spouse. Your spouse, your spouse. You love your spouse, right? She's important. But have you found that sometimes she wants you to do a whole bunch of things that get in the way of what God wants you to do? Could, could you and your spouse just move out the way sometimes, please? Just a little bit here. And listen, sometimes when you move, even your dreams, they leave a remnant behind them. Liam, please. We want, we want the space clear. Craig, have you got a piece of paper there? No. What about you, Carmen? What, what's on yours? God. Okay, wow. What was I thinking with that piece of paper? That one's lost to me. Oh, yes, I know. You just stay where you are for now, okay? Your friends. Can you, your friends, you know, Luke, sometimes your friends give you bad advice, man. God wants to do things, but your friends are getting in the way. You don't want to follow God because you're worried about your friends are going to say, geez, your friends, they need to move out the way because God's wanting to work here right now. No, we need a little bit more space, people. We need more space here. Craig, can you help me here? Okay, you can stay. What about you? Your job, your job must get out the way. Your children, children need to move out the way. Come on, folks, let's move out the way. Just everybody make some space here, please. Can, can, those who are young and strapping and vibrant, we need to make room here. Pastor Frank, you've moved a little bit out the way, but your wife still has too much influence, brother. Please. We need to make some space. We need to make, clear out the place. We need to make way, and, and, and we need to move the furniture. And yes, I know the furniture's been here all the time. No, sorry, we need more space. Not a little move. They need to move right out the way. And I understand that's, here we go, here we go. I understand that's inconvenient, and it's difficult. And, 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 and who, what else have we got here? Your anxiety. You see how they hide away? You see how the anxieties, they just, they don't want to show themselves, but they're there. And you've already moved them out the way. Because sometimes with my little girls, I need to move the couches out the way and I need to make space because they want to stand with their feet on mine and they want to dance. And sometimes, I used to, especially with Leah, when she was very little, I used to pick her up and there's a song from Cinderella that I used to sing and if I sing it to her, still her heart melts. And I'm not going to sing it for you. And we'll dance and we'll waltz. We'll waltz through the in the living room, and we dance like this, and she loves it. She throws her hair back, and then I twirl her, and she loves it. But I've got to make space to dance with my girl. And sometimes we need to make space because there's so much other th- stuff that gets in the way. Can you help me please, Tanae? And sometimes, although we want to make room for God in the little things, sometimes those little things don't happen because we haven't yet moved the furniture 
enough to really make room. And this is, this is, this is God. This is, this is where your one belongs. <laughs> we'll just put this here. Thank you, Carmen and Fiona. To really, really make room. To really make room to sit at the cross of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. And to put aside the family and the dreams and the trials and the anxieties and the friends and the family and the spouse and the needs and those material things that, that, that weigh down on us. Sometimes, in fact, folks, for all of us, this is what making room for God needs to look like. Because the clutter has come in and we've carved channels coping mechanisms to work through them. We've learned the behaviors of Christian, Christian life. And so we're not out there swearing. We're not out there cussing people un, un, unless sometimes they cut us off and they're in a taxi. We, we, we're, we're not just trying to avoid doing the bad things. But the power and the authority and the anointing that comes for those moments of inviting God into other people's situations, into other people's conversations, comes from the moments where we have deliberately pushed aside children, spouses, husband, you know, busyness, job, friends, our own and worries and dreams to just come and sit at the feet of our Savior. And there's nothing that He wants more than to come and dance with you in the space that you create for Him. It's not some burden. It's not some chore that He wants of you. He wants your time and He wants your heart. And if you don't know how to dance, you go stand on His feet and He'll, he'll, he'll lead you. He'll pick you up in His arms and He will twirl you around. And towards the end, He'll even give you a dip. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.